Okay, it is now my very great pleasure to introduce our guest speaker this morning. Uh, his name is Mark Helvagian. He's from St. Albans Vineyard, part of the senior leadership team there. Um, he's a good friend of ours. He's a, a lovely guy. And he is probably wearing the, the poshest shirt that we've ever had worn by a guest speaker at Ellsbury Vineyard. Now, the reality is that the threshold for that is not very high, <laughs> to be honest. Um, so I'm going to have to up my game, I think, on the strength of this shirt and probably also my preaching on the strength of this message. So please uh, give a very warm Elsby Vineyard kind of welcome to our friend Mark Helvagian. <laughs> wow, what an introduction, hey? This is the shirt in question. Thank you very much. That's very kind of you. You have a lovely shirt. Thank you. I like it. It's very nice. I'm just glad I didn't bust out the good shirt for this morning. That's all I'm saying, you know. <laughs> Listen, it's a privilege and lovely to be worshipping here with you all this morning. You have a wonderful church. You know, I had the pleasure and privilege of um, Steve giving me a tour about, I don't know, a month and a half ago. And just seeing the amazing stuff you guys are doing here is just amazing. You know, so much life in this place. It's such a privilege. And I know you know this already, but you have great pastors. You know, I've been really blessed to get to know Steve and Lynn. And, uh, you know, continue to pray for your pastors as we should. But, you know, that's so fantastic. And thank you for this kind invitation to, to speak here this morning. You know what I think we'll do? I think we're going to pray, and then we'll see what God's got for us this morning. <coughs> come, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, just settle our hearts. Lord, would the burden and the, the busyness of the week just fall away in your presence. Lord, you are amongst us. Would you continue to do so? And Lord, pour out your truth into our hearts that will set us free. Open our eyes afresh to see you in a new way and open our ears to hear new things, Lord. And raise in us an expectation that you want to change us this morning. To conform us to the likeness of your son, Jesus. That Lord, we will leave this place different than when we came in. Oh, Lord God. Yes, your word says that you are the author and perfecter of our faith. You are in the business of perfection, and we are in your hands. And I pray, Lord, this morning that you would just anoint me afresh. Please, Lord, I pray to preach your word. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, um, you know, it's, uh, it's not just uh, my shirt that is colorful. I've had a colorful life. Uh, not in that way, by the way, you know, it just means I've done lots of different things. Uh, you know, b- born into a, into a house church, very common in the late 70s, grew up in a Baptist church, loved the Baptists, uh, then went to a charismatic C of E church in the noughties in, in North Finchley, which was great. Then my wife and I got married in 2004, went to Australia, and part of an Australian Pentecostal church, do you like the Australian accent? Thank you. Uh, and led worship, worship leader there. And then came back in 2012 and joined the vineyard in St. Albans. And, you know, it was like coming home to the vineyard. It was like the best of everything in one place. And, you know, it's lovely being here. We're part of one family. Of course, the church global and, and indeed, specifically the vineyard. Uh, And it's just a wonderful movement, you know. And, you know, on the other side of things, business-wise, I've had an interesting career uh, over the past 20 years or so. Worked for big companies, small companies, started my own companies, sold my own companies, in the process of selling companies, doing new things. And um, I think one of the, the key kind of themes or questions that has always come up with me is, what should I be doing and what does success look like? 
what should I be doing and what does success look like? I mean, they're, they're, they're linked questions, aren't they, really? Because you, you assess something and say, well, will I be successful in this? You know, um, as I speak to people pastorally and friends, this question of success comes up a lot. In fact, a, f- a friend of mine, you know, we were sitting down to coffee last week and he, he manages people and we were reflecting on, on staff and, and motivation and energy and, you know, we kind of distilled it down. The staff really need to know two things. You know, what am I supposed to do and how do you measure success? If you don't have that, you, f- you feel unmotivated, maybe you're in that place, demotivated, what am I supposed to do, you know? And so, you know, as I was praying through about what the Lord wants to bring us this morning, I really felt the Lord wanted to question and prompt us to ask, what am I doing? And what does success look like for my life? You know, we're created in the Father's image. I love it in Genesis 1, you know, God created, and then what did he say? It is good. What do we have there? He worked, and then he felt that sense of achievement, success. It's a God-given thing that we should feel a sense of achievement and walk in that God has for us. And so this morning, be prepared, because I know the Holy Spirit is going to nudge some of you about what you're doing. And it might need you to recalibrate what you think success looks like for your own life. You happy to go on that journey with me? No, no one nodded. <gasps> Shock horror. Goodbye. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so let us ask the question, what is success? That's a fair point to start. Well, you know, if you were to look at the world of social media, you would quickly come to the conclusion that success is about how glossy your life looks and how many followers you have. Surely that is success. But hey, you know, reports are coming out, aren't they, of the, the kind of mental impact and depression that is caused by people coming to the false conclusion that, that their lives are less than others. Well, I'm not successful because look at their life. That's not success. Maybe for you, success is something different. Maybe, you know, you're part of the business community and success for you is about your title, your position, your salary, the achievements there. That for you maybe is success, and I've been there. Maybe it's none of those things. Maybe it's about influence. Maybe if I, if I can have influence in this sphere of, in the area of my life, then I'm successful. Maybe success is winning the World Cup. <laughs> that would be a miracle, actually, wouldn't it? <laughs> what time's kickoff? We've got 55 minutes. I'm impressed that you guys are here, actually. We'll, we'll make it back. At least I know when I'm driving back to St. Albans, the roads are going to be clear. You know what I mean? It'll be very quick. But here's the thing. Success is actually none of those things. We find the answer, though, don't we, in here? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So why do you not come with me to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 8 and 10, and we're going to find out God's answer. And I love these two verses because what Paul is doing here is he's very clever, you know, He's declaring the central motive or the central theme of, of the gospel. And then, he's question, and then he's looking at the question of works. And while they may look like two secondary or different points, what we find is they're very related. So I've given you time to turn there now. You there? Good. Let us read this together. Ephesians 2, uh, 8. Here we go. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what is Paul's central theme here? What is the central theme? It is this, that you are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. That's it. 
You know, we talk about the simple gospel. That's it, folks. That's the good news. You're saved by grace, his unmerited favor towards you. Through faith in the person of Christ Jesus, he has done it all on the cross for us. You see, there is nothing you can do to earn your salvation, lest you shall boast that you did it on your own. And so Paul is addressing the question of works in the context of salvation and saying, don't get in the danger of thinking that works will save you. You know, uh, you might have heard the story about the man in the pit that describes salvation. There's a man and he's walking along and he's in the pit. He falls into the pit, represent his lost state with God. And he can't get out. And all of a sudden, Buddha walks past him and looks down and says, listen, you need to think your way out of there to God. And then walks by. And then uh, Muhammad walks by and says, you need to be better and work harder. Then you'll get out of your pit and get to God. And then Jesus walks by. Doesn't say anything. He gets into the pit with the man and he lifts him out. Amen? See, Jesus identified with us. We didn't do anything. And that's what Paul is saying here. Now, listen, I appreciate that for many of you, this is Christianity 101. Mark, we understand this. I've been a Christian for many years. But this is the thing that I want us to know and remind ourselves. Paul was writing this to the believers. This was not an evangelistic message. It was a pastoral letter. Why? Because even if you know this to be the case for your salvation, we find that we slip back into it, trying to do good works to please God. I know I've done it in my life. I know I'm saved, but his favor surely is limited by how good I am. If I work harder and do better, maybe God will bless me more. You know, maybe past guilt motivates you to atone. Well, I was bad then. Yes, of course God saved me, but I need to be better now. Well, of course we have to be better, but that's the work of the Spirit in us as we walk in that. Maybe your shame for your current position is causing you to try and get God's attention. Look at me, Lord, I'm doing good. What more do you want from me? And, you know, we see this danger slipping into the church throughout history. The flesh, you know, the old man, as Paul calls it, wanting to be gratified. The enemy, roaring around as a prowling lion. And the world, all pointing to ourselves to save ourselves. And thus getting to us into a place of bondage to these very things. And that's what Paul talks about in Romans 7, verse 6. You know, last year marked 500 years of the great Protestant Reformation. You know, when Martin Luther was in Wittenberg in Germany and nailed his thesis onto the door of the church. And what was that all about? Well, you know, one of the things was recapturing its salvation by faith alone. Why? Because what had gotten into the church was the notion that you're saved by faith and meritorious works. In other words, works that give you merit. Listen, it's still around, by the way. This notion that you have to do good and be good. So maybe this morning... Even before we keep moving on, the Spirit is saying to you, let go. You don't need to work for my love and my acceptance. I love you for who you are, not for what you do. What did we sing earlier? You're a good, good father. 
Maybe you've yet to say yes to Jesus. You're here this morning. You haven't got a relationship with Jesus. You say, well, Mark, I can't be a Christian yet. I'm not good enough. Well, I've got some great news for you. You never will be. It's not about that. Christianity is not a religion about doing works. It's about a relationship with a loving Father that's done it for you. And so Paul, therefore, having established that our salvation does not come from works, lest we boast, he moves on to say, okay, then what is, what is works then? And that's what we're going to follow now. And we're going to unpack this together, a bit of a Bible study. It says, firstly, it says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. Why, why, did, why does Paul say this? I find this interesting. You know, here's a tip. Whenever you're reading scripture, ask, the, ask questions. Lord, why do you say this here? Well, we know whenever it says for, it's there for a reason. It's linked to what comes before. For your God's handiwork. Here's the thing. We've been created by God. We are not an accident. We've been created with care and intentionality. Psalm 139 verse, uh, Psalm 139 verse 13. I love this. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And verse 14 says, I praise you because what? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. He's, he's, he's numbered the very hairs on your head. You're not here by accident. And maybe you've been living your whole life thinking that you're here by accident. Let me tell you or not. And why did Paul mention this? This is important before we go on. Why is he mentioning this before he goes and talks about works? Because here's the thing. If you believe you are here by accident, then you fall into works to give you a sense of worth and value. Let me say that again. If you believe you are here by accident, then you fall into works to give you a sense of worth and value. I've seen it play out. I have prayed with many people, and they said, you know, my parents told me I was an accident, that I wasn't planned. And they spend their lives trying to get acceptance by doing. I mean, bless, I've, I've spoken to people that said, you know, my parents told me they were going to get an abortion. Maybe you know people like that. Maybe it's you. And they've lived their whole lives having, having struggling with a sense of worth and value because they don't realize that God was intentional in creating them. They were not here by an accident. Maybe that's you this morning. If, that, if you've been living under that lie that you're here by an accident and that you somehow need to do to get worth and value, I just break that lie off you in the name of Jesus. I claim the blood of the Lamb upon you to cleanse you from that lie. Don't walk in that. And so Paul is just trying to get us aligned and saying, listen, you have been created intentionally. And here's the thing. He goes on to say, to do God, good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Here's the thing. Here's the linkage. The God who created you intentionally also prepared good works for you intentionally. Think about that. God is not some benevolent old man sitting up in heaven saying, I've created you, off you go, do what you want to do. saying, I've created you intentionally and I have good works for you. And you know, the ESV and the New King James renders the translation, not for us to do, but for us to walk in. You know, I think this is really interesting, before we continue, just a bit of a pause here, because, you know, one of the dangers we have as Christians is that we get into this thought that works are not important. Well, you know, works aren't important. God's done it all. 
You know, in some cases called extreme grace. It says, you know, well, God covers over all of our bad stuff. He accepts it. We're humans. And so works aren't important. Let me say, grace is not here. God's grace isn't to cover over bad living. It's here to empower right living. That's what grace is. Grace empowers right living. Grace is the thing that enables you to walk in the works that he has prepared for you. And so I want to just give us four reasons, four reasons why works are hugely important. You ready? Here's the first one. James, in the book of James, chapter 218, says this, our faith is evidenced by good works. Faith without works is dead. Oh, did, he, did he say that? Is that really in the Bible? Yes. Why? Because a true saving faith in Jesus will always have an outward expression. What you're doing at the storehouse is amazing. Your good works, that's a fruit and an expression of the faith that you have in Jesus. The stuff you do in this community is amazing. You are a wonderful church. Why? Because of your faith in Jesus and you walk in the works that he has for you. We should expect, therefore, as Christians, that God has got works for us. We should expect that he has a path for us to walk in that enables our faith to be expressed in him. And maybe some of you this morning, you've got to open your eyes and say, okay, Lord, what have you got for me? Number two, because we've been created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27. What happened when God created Adam? He set him to work. Adam, go name, go name the animals. Adam, as my, you know, you've been created in my image. Go do what I do. I create, you go create. And that's what Adam did. And he had a sense of fulfillment, no doubt. But here's the thing. Sin came in. And what happened with sin? The curse was that you know, work became toil. And that's why oftentimes we're in work. Think, well, this can't be of God. It's just so toilsome. Well, unfortunately, we live in a fallen world. But that doesn't mean that work's wrong. It just means sin has corrupted it. God creates, the devil corrupts. Number three, and I'm just touching on these. We don't have time to dive into them. But maybe if any of these spring to mind you know, during the week, you just maybe meditate on them. Here's the third one. As we exercise our giftings, we become stewards of all he has given us. You know, Matthew 25, 14 to 30. I'm actually going to read this. This is the parable of the stewards. Uh, Matthew, Matthew, Matthew. I don't think I've got it on the screen, so you're going to have to listen or turn with me. Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. Okay, here we go. The parable of the bags of gold. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey. He called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Pause. I love this. This just struck me recently. He said that he gives bags according to our ability. In other words, he has prepared good works for us specifically. Don't look at anybody else's path and think, I should be doing that. Don't covet somebody else's journey. Well, hold on a minute. I should be doing that. Surely that's much bigger. Or don't look down at someone else because you think you're doing something bigger than they are. It's not about that. It's about walking in what God has for you. He has created you intentionally to walk in works intentionally. I shall continue. 
Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Oh dear. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. That's a kingdom principle, you know. The area that you are, the small, that you are faithful in, he gives you larger. The man with two bags of gold also came. Marty said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. So here is what belongs to you. And you can continue to read what happens to this man. But suffice it to say, it did not go well. (coughs) What God is saying is, I have given you abilities and gifts so that you could be good stewards, to bring glory to my name, and to experience that sense of fulfillment and achievement in knowing that you can walk in what I have for you. And for many of us, and I have been there, what we do is we, because of fear, because of anxiety, maybe because of other dreams, we, we take it and we bury it in the ground. It, well, it's not for me. Maybe this morning you're sitting there and God has put something on your heart to do and you've kind of metaphorically put it in the ground and said, well, I can't do it now, Lord. God is saying, listen, come on, you can do it. Why? Because that thing I've given you is based on your ability. In other words, it's created specifically for you. And if that's you this morning, I encourage you, get it, get out the ground, get the bag, and walk in that as God has for you. And listen, you're never too young and you're never too old. Don't get into the trap of thinking, well, God gave me that 20 years ago, time's passed. No, no, no. Now's the time. Time is not an issue for God. So I'd encourage you to walk in that. Number four, we work for God and not for men. Colossians 3, 23, 24 says this, whatever you do, underline whatever, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as a reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, one of the things, common pitfalls of Christians is this false delineation between the secular and the sacred work. There, there is no secular and sacred work. It's all sacred. It's all given by God. Why is this important? Because I have met people, well-intentional people, and I think I've been there before, probably 15 years ago, when I was like thinking about church work and, and, and secular work, and thinking, well, this isn't important, surely. I should be being the holy man of God over there. <laughs> but God is, is saying, no, no, these are the works I've got for you to walk in. And you're working for me, son. It's important. And your reward doesn't come from your paycheck. Don't look at your paycheck. I think this is a word for somebody. Don't look at your paycheck and think, well, they haven't paid me right. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you should be paid unfairly. I'm not talking about that. 
but you can very easily get into a heart and a mentality where it's like, well, what's the point of working hard? They don't pay me well enough, so I'm not going to work. God is saying, you work for me, and your reward comes from me. Your reward comes from how you use your gifts and that bag of gold that I've got you. That's where the reward comes. And maybe there's a bit of recalibration that needs to happen in some of you this morning to say, you know what? I'm going to work for the Lord. He's my boss. All right, I've given you four reasons there. Our faith is evidenced by good works because we've created the image of God. As we exercise our giftings, we become good stewards. And number four, we work for God and not for men. See how works are important? Don't get into the danger of thinking they're not. So we come back to the the question I posed at the start of the talk. What is success? Well, I'm afraid to say I cannot give you a big fanfare and a very complex answer because the truth is it's a very simple one. And hopefully you've guessed it by now, but here's success doing that which God has prepared you for. Doing that which God has prepared you for you to walk in. That is success. We, listen, we will only know the true peace and joy and sense of fulfillment when we're doing that which God's calling us. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not, going to, I'm not saying it's not going to take sacrifice. I'm not saying you're not going to come up with pitfalls. I'm not saying any of these things, but you know, you know, you know that you're in the right place. That is success. Now, listen, money might come along with it. Position and favor might come along with it. Influence might come along with it. Those aren't success. <laughs> that's, that's a blessing of the Lord. Success is walking in that which God has called you to walk in. You know, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 11, Paul says this, that we need to walk in deeds prompted by faith. What does that mean? It means that We need faith to walk in all that he has for us. You know, I told you I've got a very interested background in terms of, you know, business and I've sold companies and created companies. Well, one of the first companies I created back in 2010, I was working for Yahoo at the time in Australia, and I'll give you this very briefly. You know, going great at Yahoo, but God finally gave me a a business idea that Steph thought was my wife, thought made sense. Up until this point, no, nah, I don't get it. No, nah, I don't get it. Finally, said, oh, that makes sense. I thought, good. Phase one complete, tick. Wife agrees. And then the Lord said, you know, Mark, I want you to leave Yahoo and put everything you've got into this. What? Are you kidding me? But look at my salary and my position and look at all the... No, I want you to sell your house and put all the money from that into... Wow. What a calling. Now, it's scary, but Steph and I had such a peace about it that we did it. And what happened? Well, you know, to cut a long story short, we sold that company in the U.S. in 2016 to uh, a Nasdaq-listed company for an eight-figure sum. I'd love to tell you that was all mine. It wasn't. We had lots of shareholders. But, you know, from me putting that small seed, that bag of gold that God gave me, I got a 4,000% return on my investment, which anyone in business will tell you for six years is a filthy return. You probably won't get that in the markets. Now, success was not the money that came with it, but it was actually walking in God, what God had for me. And if we had more time, I'd share some other stories. But what I'm trying to encourage you here is that you are going to require faith to walk in what God has for you. I'd like to invite the band up as as we close. You know, I find it interesting that at the start of chapter 2 of Ephesians, he says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This question of walk comes up a lot. You know, we walked in a particular direction. Now we're called to walk in another direction. And what does it take for us? Trust. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart 
and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and what? He shall direct your paths. I'd encourage you to submit it all to the Lord and say, Lord, have your way. Yes, you've got to use your brain and your intellect. Yes, you've got to seek godly counsel for others. Yes, you ask God for wisdom. But doing so, you trust that as you make those steps, he's going to open those doors, but you're going to need faith to walk through it. 